Please be advised that I am not an expert in any of the matters that I talk about on the show. I encourage you to do your own skeptical inquiry and email correcting information when you come across it. I will be sure to correct myself on the next recording. Please also be advised that I am not always cautious about my language. Listener discretion is advised. Very serious situation here in Hawaii. Earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down. From Nebraska to Texas, apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear through the southern... Good day, everyone. Thank you for joining me for episode 26 of Living Through Extinction. I have been trying to get ahead, and I just realized that by the time this goes out, the U.S. election will have been over for a month already. Ugh. I am a bit concerned that the voter suppression is going to work big time this year. Look at the unofficial ballot boxes marked as official ballot boxes that the Republicans are absolutely refusing to remove from public spaces. Let America have its democracy back and let everyone have a fucking vote that counts already. Not that they all ever counted equally to begin with, I guess, but that's another fucked up story. I feel for all the reasonable people left to the south of us. 2020. Fuck 2020. 2020 has now given the skeptical community, the magical community, much of the scientific community, and even some of the rock and roll community, a massive shared punch in the gut this week. As I mentioned earlier, I record ahead, so by the time this goes out, it won't exactly be new news. But I have a lot of feelings about this man, and I have to take this opportunity to talk about James the Magnificent Randy. Born Canadian, James Randy was a magician, author, skeptic, investigator, and escapist. Not just an escapist, though. He was known for doing Houdini's escape tricks better than Houdini. Most people in the science and skeptical communities will have heard of JREF, the James Randi Educational Foundation, or TAM, the Amazing Meeting, and of course there's the Million Dollar Challenge. All of those things were thanks to this man. He did not like to be called a debunker, as he always claimed to be open to the possibility that he was wrong. He would examine a claim, and as an incredibly talented and knowledgeable magician, he would see the trick, see what was being done to fool people. Once he'd figure out the trick, Exposing the fraud was so much easier. One of his many appearances on The Tonight Show was a fine example of this. Yuri Geller came on and astounded the crowd with his psychic abilities to turn the pages of a book with nothing but his mind. Johnny Carson, this was the 70s, Johnny Carson had Randy in the wings watching the trick. After the trick, which Geller swore up and down was the power of his brain, Randy came out and was asked how he would explain this. So he explained it. He said it was a breath trick when he'd used himself many times. All it would take to show if he was really using his mind was styrofoam. Simple styrofoam. James Randi spread packing peanuts around the book. If Geller was using his mind on the book, the surrounding peanuts would not be affected. If, however, he was using a breath trick as Randi suspected, there would be quite a bit of movement among the packing peanuts when the pages turned. Geller was then asked to show off his ability one more time and could not do it anymore. Not with the styrofoam peanuts there. He had excuses, of course. I can't recall exactly what they were off the top of my head, but he pretended to try really, really hard first. You see, James Randi loved magic, but he was very strongly against using magic tricks to outright lie to people. Like being a cold reader and claiming to be talking to someone's dead loved ones. To him, 
People who came to a magic show were coming to be fooled. They know it's a trick. Nobody is lying to them. Psychics and mediums, on the other hand, are often taking money from grieving family members for something he knows how to do but never would. You see, James Randi has morals. With his abilities, he could have been a master con man worth billions. Instead, he took the opposite route and dedicated his life to exposing people who use these tricks to lie, to deceive, and to take money from people. The greatest example of this is how he and his crew exposed Peter Popoff in 1986. The funny part is how he showed it to the world. He surprised Johnny Carson with the audio evidence when on the show and Johnny let out a good old holy fuck or something like that. In everything I ever heard or read about it, they always just say he let out an expletive, which was apparently something he was not supposed to do in front of the audience. Anyway, this audio that had Johnny lose his composure for a moment came from an infiltration into Peter Popoff's followers. Before I go on, I need to explain prayer cards for those who may not be aware of what they are. This wasn't just something done by Popoff. People claiming to speak to a deity use this trick quite often. As you are entering a healing or revival show of some kind, there are prayer card options in clear view. You are told if you write down your name, where you are from, and what ailments you are there about, the cards will be prayed over after the show by whoever the cult leader of that particular group may happen to be. This was a technique used by Peter Popoff and his wife in 86. The problem for them was that the infiltrator noticed the earpiece in Popoff's ear. Why the earpiece? What was it for? Now this was a very different time. We all have earpieces today, but we're talking about the 80s here. The suspicion led to an idea. What was played at the Johnny Carson show was the radio interception of what was being transmitted to that earpiece that was noticed. It was his wife reading him the prayer cards. She would have people picked out and keep their cards as they went in. She would then, through the radio transmission, lead him to them and tell him their problems. Popoff would wave his arm in the air and be all, I'm getting a message now. It's leading me over here. Gerald, are you Gerald? Gerald identifies himself. Gerald, you have pain. It's excruciating pain, and it's taking over your life, and you desperately need the Lord's help. Blah, blah, blah. And these unskeptical people pay their money, hand in the cards, and still do not see what's happening. It just doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, I highly recommend looking up that Tonight Show episode or that audio that was captured at the healing thingy. His wife was all, Hi, honey. Hope you can hear me. If you can't, you're in trouble. Tee-hee-hee. Then she goes on to lead him to person after person based on the cards that she's kept. They were con artists. They were scammers. They made unthinkable millions before being exposed. They were the type of people that James Randi was all about exposing. I have respect for that. Another of my favorite stunts he pulled was aimed at the channeling fad that overtook Australia in the late 60s. The media was a huge part of this problem, buying right into it all. Everyone was so sure they could not be fooled, so Randy set out to prove them wrong. He had a performer artist pretend to be a channeler of a 2,000-year-old spirit named Carlos, and the media and their audiences bought into it hook, line, and sinker. They eventually revealed the hoax, and there was much embarrassment among media leaders at the time. But hopefully it had those particular individuals practice more skepticism before reporting supernatural abilities as real in the future. James Randi's connection to the rock and roll world comes through Alice Cooper. 
There was nobody else Alice trusted to behead him on stage, so Randy toured with Alice Cooper in charge of many special effects and playing the part of Cooper's executioner. It was always one of my favorite things to hear him talk about. He talked about this particular time with great fondness, and it was just always so fun to hear his stories. My initial discovery of James Randy was through his occasional guest spots on the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast. From there I read Flim Flam, of course, which helped me a lot with continuing my journey into skepticism. Today there's a wonderful documentary all about him called An Honest Liar. James Randi came out as gay at 92. He never denied it, but he had never openly stated it either, and had decided it was time. His Flim Flam book had the foreword written by Isaac Asimov. He was called the Gandalf of Rock and Roll by Alice Cooper. The man introduced Penn and Teller to each other for crying out loud. And some of the most well-known scientists and skeptics were inspired and influenced by James Randi. This is a man who is going to be very greatly missed. The diabolical ironclad beetle, or Floetus diabolicus, let's face it, this insect has the coolest name ever, is found in the U.S. and Mexico under the bark of trees and under rocks. This interesting creature cannot fly, but has one of the toughest exoskeletons we currently know of. It's actually rather comical how the toughness of the diabolical ironclad beetle was first discovered. You know how entomologists pin insect samples to boards for display, review, cataloging, study? Well, the first time a researcher tried to pin one of these to a board, the pins kept bending and breaking. They ended up using a drill to make holes through the tough exoskeleton in order to put the pins through. Somewhere along the evolutionary line, the diabolical ironclad beetle lost the ability to fly away from danger, but evolved crush-resistant forewings to take its place. This apparently allowed them to be able to survive the pecking of hungry birds. New research into this exoskeleton has been published in the journal Nature. It was published by a team led by David Kisalis of the University of California, Irving. The testing has shown that this insect can survive not just someone stomping on it, but also being run over with a car. It has been calculated that it can withstand forces up to 39,000 times their body weight. The best part, though, is they have discovered at least part of the reason as to why it is so strong. There are unique interlocking joints that make their exoskeleton tougher than most, and this is what scientists are making use of. This joint system has now been replicated in plastic and metal materials, and in both cases it enhanced both the strength and toughness of the materials. So this has massive possibilities for all sorts of fields in the future. Primarily building materials, but those building materials could be for sky rises or they could be for satellites. I'm sure there are already many people from multiple fields getting excited about what they may be able to accomplish with this new knowledge. Diabolical ironclad beetle. <laughs> I, I just like saying it. It sounds like something that would have been in my monster's compendium binder in the 80s. A long-lost medieval monastery has been found in Gloucester's city center under a demolished multi-story car park. Remains of at least four large buildings were discovered, including tiled and mortared floor remains, some walls, and parts of a medieval drainage system. The Carmelite Friary of the White Friars was known to have existed in the general area, but the exact location had been lost to time until now. White Friars, in case you're unaware, are kind of like monks, except they were a part of the community and served the people of the community. 
Of all the friars that once resided in the area, the least is known about the White Friars, so this find is extra special. The hope is to be able to piece together some forgotten religious history. For this episode, I explored the environmental effects of daily oral care. We all do it, or we all should, anyway. We all need to take care of our oral health. What is this twice-daily ritual putting out into the environment? What have we been slowly building up in our waterways over the decades as we spit toothpaste and mouthwash down the drain? It's something I never really pondered, so I guess it was time. Let's start with toothpaste and mouthwash. We have all been down a toothpaste aisle in a grocery store. We have all seen the rows upon rows of plastic bottles with plastic lids and cardboard boxes with tubes enclosed. According to the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, paperboard, which is used for toothpaste boxes, contributes to deforestation, increased water consumption, and higher greenhouse gas emissions. And what are those tubes made of anyway? Well, it turns out they are a mix of materials pressed together. There are sheets of plastic laminate and a layer of aluminum. This combination of materials forced together in a way that is nearly impossible to separate them is not recyclable because it's a combination of materials forced together in a way that is nearly impossible to separate them. So toothpaste tubes go in the garbage and to the landfills and oceans. They remain for hundreds of years. And now I'm trying to picture every tube my family has ever used, and I feel terrible. Then there are the contents of the toothpaste. Ingredients like sodium pyrophosphate, which contain phosphorus. And phosphorus buildup is responsible for excessive algal growth in some waterways. The problem with the algae is that it hogs all the oxygen from the water, creating lifeless areas known as dead zones. Another common ingredient is triclosan. Triclosan has been building up in the ocean and is known to disrupt hormones and growth and development of marine animals and bacteria. It is actually registered as a pesticide, an antibacterial, and an antifungal agent. Now, I am as guilty as anyone, so I am learning a bit about what's out there. If I find something I really like, I'll share it with you all. There are powder forms of tooth cleaning agents that come in glass jars which are recyclable. I think I'd like to eventually try that, but there are a lot of options and they're not cheap, so I need to spend quite a bit more time shopping around. Now for those of you who are interested, apparently Colgate launched a vegan certified toothpaste in a recyclable tube in January of this year, January 2020. I presume I haven't seen it on the shelves because it isn't available in Canada yet? I'll have to take a look and make sure I haven't been missing it all this time. To touch briefly on mouthwash, it's the same issue with the contents, which also goes straight down the sink and into the water system. Some ingredients in mouthwash are sodium lauryl sulfate, polysorbate, cetylipyridium chloride, and benzoconium chloride, and apparently all of these have been shown to be toxic to aquatic wildlife. Then of course there's the huge plastic hit with mouthwash. Even if most mouthwash bottles are recyclable, way too many are ending up in the landfills. Another thing most of us probably have in common is that we use a toothbrush, regardless of the toothpaste or powder we use. That is a lot of plastic. And they stay in landfills and oceans forever. Well, I think like 400 years, which to me feels like forever. When toothbrushes do finally begin to break down, they just become smaller and smaller pieces, causing even more trouble. 
Microplastics have come up a few times on this show. They are quite harmful. Also, as the toothbrushes sit in landfills being heated in the sun day after day, they eventually begin to release chemicals into the air. The worst of it is their presence in oceans and beaches, though. Apparently, an average beach cleanup in Hawaii will reveal between 20 and 100 toothbrushes. I guess we can't forget that they come wrapped up in cardboard and plastic, too. So they also contribute to all the negative impacts that the cardboard boxes for toothpaste tubes do. This is another area I'm currently exploring. I think I want to go to bamboo, but there are all sorts of products available now. Some are made from plant starches and bio-based plastics. Many are made from biodegradable, recyclable, and compostable materials. Again, it's a lot easier for a rich person to go jump on this train, as it isn't cheap. But I am shopping around and will share if I find something to try. Now this is a little ironic. The one part of oral care that the least people do has the most to talk about when it comes to the environment. That, in case you haven't guessed, is flossing. I'll begin with the plastic containers. Supposedly, if everyone in the U.S. flossed their teeth as recommended, it would fill a six-story high football field every year. If not recycled, and not all are recyclable, it's reported that one of those containers sticks around for over 500 years. Now, why longer than toothbrushes? Toothbrushes apparently stick around for over 400 years. I was not able to find what the reason is for that difference. Maybe it's just a different kind of plastic? If you happen to know, please share. Now, something interesting you could get in flossing are spools that come in glass bottles, and then you can buy the spool refills and reuse the bottle. That sounds pretty good. But we also have to consider the floss itself. What is that generally made of? Dental floss is usually made of non-biodegradable plastic and nylon materials. It's also designed not to tear, and that is a problem in the ocean where it is very common to find it. Sea animals are sadly choked and strangled by dental floss. The string also has a coating on it. This coating contains PFAs, a subset of perfluorocarbons, PFCs, which, according to the EPA, cause some of the most potent of greenhouse gas emissions. It's the same stuff used to make Teflon, everyone's favorite nonstick coating. It dawned on me that there are also packages of little individual floss sticks. There's a whole lot more unnecessary plastic for you. In these cases, each stick is quite a bit more plastic than floss. So one of the alternatives out there is a water flosser. And I'm thinking, oh, it's made of plastic. It uh, uses electricity. It uses water. However, from what I understand, the plastic is overridden by the fact that they are reusable. And apparently, they use the tiniest amount of water and electricity. And if it keeps someone from using a throwaway toothbrush, it is actually helping. So I was actually wrong about that initially. I've never used one, but I'd be willing to try it out. If, however, one prefers to stick to the string method, there are some alternatives there too. Silk floss is both biodegradable and compostable. It is also non-toxic and eco-friendly. Some silk flosses use a natural plant-based wax as well instead of the usual PFCs. The downsides of silk floss are that it is not as strong and it is not vegan or guaranteed cruelty-free, as far as I can tell anyway. For that, there are two options I am currently aware of, bamboo floss and cornstarch-based floss. Both are biodegradable and vegan, which I know is really important to some people. 
Oral care is definitely one of those areas where my family and I are part of the problem. But I am researching and learning and hopefully we'll be able to do better in the near future. A smile was put on my face today in learning of developing technology aimed at tracking and stopping the illegal trade of sea turtles. In Central America, more than 90% of sea turtles' nests are destroyed by poachers and sold to legal wildlife traders. This crime is proving to be devastating for the endangered sea turtles. Paso Pacifico is an organization which states its objective as aiming to restore and protect endangered dry tropical forest and coastal ecosystems. They have a new project in the works. Actually, it's being used in several locations in Central America right now, but it is still in the early stages. They have developed a new system for tracking and possibly catching poachers. The investigator, damn pun word, it's invest with no T, followed by egg-ator. Anyway, it's a GPS GSM tracking device that mimics both the look and feel of real eggs. They are 3D printed and then hand painted by artists to make them as natural looking as possible. Then they are inserted into nests full of real turtle eggs, without harming any of the real eggs, of course. This has so far proven fruitful in providing real-time maps of smuggling routes being used. Am I a bad person for being happy about the misfortune of poachers? I don't think so. Honestly, I hope this project has expanded and they end up catching and prosecuting all the poachers. I can't deny that this news did put a smile on my face. That's it for this episode. I guess by the time this comes out, everyone will have winter celebrations on the brain. Maybe I should do some skeptical inquiry into the Christmas myths for the next episode, since it will be out around December 17th, I think. Which reminds me, I will be taking the 31st off, but will continue the show bi-weekly, beginning the second Thursday of January. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily in these mad times. I hope you will join me again in two weeks for episode 27 of Living Through Extinction. If you like what you just heard and would like to support the show, you can do so by liking, subscribing, commenting when reviewing, engaging on social media, or sharing the show with your friends. There is also a Patreon. That and the social medias are under Living Through Extinction, except for Twitter, which is LTE Pod. situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening. The uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down. From Nebraska to Texas, apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear through the southern...